church this morning let's awaken to the transforming power of the holy spirit because we know once we've tasted and seen what he's done in our lives we can't help but praise him let's stand and sing together
take this time to just lift our hands to praise Jesus for the transforming power that he has done in your life. Let's just thank him and praise him because when we experience his love, we can't help but just raise our hands.
I wear I'm on 
future is heaven and that we have something so much better, so much better to look forward to God.
Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. I have a little bit, I'm coming, over, uh, coming off a cold that's going through our house right now. It's not COVID, we got tested. And, uh, and uh, so if I take a cough drop, that's what's going on. Or if I take some more tea, that's what's going on. Hey, welcome. We're so glad. If you're new to us, I'm new to you. You're, you're new to me. Um, welcome. My name is David Hurtado. I'm one of the pastors around here. And I'm going to take about uh, two minutes to describe a little what we're doing with Zoe. Uh, but for those of you guys who uh, may want to use this time to take your children to the children's areas, we're going to give you that time to do that. We have a second video that we're going to show right after I do this uh, for about two minutes. And it's a little bit more in depth about Zoe. Uh, we kind of tiered the videos a little bit. And so if you're concerned about that, certainly go use the restroom or take your kids to the, to the children's areas. You can do that right now. Uh, I have to tell you, I'm, I have all my notes that we've raised $30,000. Now we're over $30,000 on the vehicle. So... <clears throat> The vehicle that you see when you walk in is at $36,000, some change for taxes and whatever. And so I believe we're going to hit it. We're over that now. We're, we're kind of going to the finish line, which is wonderful because it allows me to highlight some other things. I, I got to tell you, we're not above manipulation as long as it's for Jesus. I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, there, there was a little girl and she was like, you know, looking at all the little Hot Wheels cars. And I said, which one do you want, hon? She goes, I want this one. I go, that's wonderful. Go to your dad and tell your dad that I, Pastor David said, I can have this Hot Wheels car as long as we give $1,000. And so she ran over to dad, daddy, daddy, Pastor David says that if we, I can have this Hot Wheels car if, if, if we just give $1,000. And he laughed it off and she walked back and I was like, high five girl, good try. And she's like, it didn't work. I can't believe it. He should have put his credit card in there. 
out of the mouths of babes. Right there, baby. That's awesome. We are not above manipulation as long as it's for Jesus. And so we have about $4,000 more to go on that van. And now we need to shift our gears and try to go get gift cards. We need to, we need to get as many gift cards as possible to whether it's Burger King, uh, McDonald's, In-N-Out, uh, you know, uh, coffee places. Zoe sends advocates to meet with these girls that are coming off the streets. And they really kind of mentor them along the way. And we have an opportunity to facilitate those meetings through investing in whatever it is they're eating. And so you can know whatever gift card you give that they'll be used for a mentor to meet with a gal who's coming off the streets and trying to facilitate her not going back on the streets. Please do that with us. We need more of those gift cards. Uh, starting next week is our last week because we're going camping the last week of the month. So go get gift cards uh, uh, so that we can give them a lot of gift cards as well. And then the prayer, the prayer element. Uh, you go to our website and go down to uh, you know where you, where you see Zoe and you can sign up for text messages. I got one this morning and it gives you exactly what to pray about. 30, 60 seconds you pray and we know God will do a big deal for us. And so we still have that Monday, tomorrow night. I'll be praying 6.30 to 8.30 behind the stage. Somebody's like, I didn't know where it was. It's behind the stage in the music room. Uh, we'd love for you to come and pray with us for this initiative. And then there's a 24 hours of prayer that you can sign up for a 20-minute segment as well um, that you can do on your own. You don't have to come here or anything. You just do it, um, you know, in the hallways or house or in the living room or whatever you want to do. So please join us on that. A couple more things before I show you a video. Um, uh, one, there are some things that are, that are available at the table. I'd love for all you guys to go to the table. This is the actual house they built in L.A. County that the girls are staying in. You can go get some of that. Next week, you're going to want to come back because we have this beautiful little card that everybody will get. On the back will be an opportunity for you to encourage a staff person at Zoe. So you would just write a word of encouragement, a prayer for them if you want. Write on this card. This is perforated. This part right here, keeps, you keep it in your pocket, and you pray for this um, over the months to come. And then we collect this side and give it to them so they know that people are praying with them. Don't want to miss next week. This is next week. This is going to be awesome. So with that, let me show you this video that I give you plenty of time to go use our children's facilities. Let's watch this. During the pandemic, there has been an alarming rise in the rate of young people drawn into human trafficking right here in Los Angeles. Teens, kids as young, very young, in fact, uh, are online so much these days, we all know, and that can make them particularly vulnerable to predators. 33 missing children were recovered during Operation Los Angeles. Hidden in plain sight, human traffickers and their victims walking among us. So what happens to the victim after they are rescued and taken into custody? To discuss that uh, is Chief Operating Officer of Zoe International, Mr. David Cox. We're here today because children are being bought and sold in our city. What's this look like? Sex trafficking takes many forms, but today, in our city, women and children stand on the street with a line of cars resembling a drive-through, waiting to purchase them for sex, all while being closely watched by a trafficker. I'm not talking about a third world country or a developing nation. This is in America, and this is in our city. In fact, at Zoe International, we are opening a safe, specialized home for girls who have been trafficked. There are hundreds of youth right now in Los Angeles alone who have been identified as child trafficking survivors. In America, the shortage of beds is at a crisis level for children who have survived the violence and trauma of trafficking. So where do these children go to heal? 
That is why God gave Zoe a special place like this. This is what the beginning of justice can look like for these precious children. So, uh, two things. Don't miss next week, because Dave Cox, the person who was on that uh, KKLA, he will be here. We're going to hand him over the keys, because I'm trusting for four more thousand dollars today. And then we'll hand him the keys to the van, and they'll drive, they'll drive off of the van next week, so you want to be here next week. Secondly, before you leave today, please, if you're a parent, please visit the Zoe table. They have a Know the Signs of Sex Trafficking card. Please do not leave today without knowing the signs, especially if you have a teenager. I, I don't want to be a bearer of bad news, but in the acorn, in the last two weeks, there was a, right here in Camarillo, an attempted abduction of a girl who was 14 years old. All right? Uh, I would love for you to get this and know the signs even for your own children. That's just me being pastoral. Would you take this and make sure you don't leave today? She brought my, it's actually Meredith's little sister who works for Zoe, Haley, and so she's there with tons of these for you to see, and you can take one with you. Please do that. All right? With that, let's shift gears. It's going to be fun today. Uh, it's going to be a good time. Hopefully my voice will get me through it, but I'm super excited. Uh, I'm going to start off this way. I've said this before. My wife and I are polar opposites. I say that all the time. For those of you guys who are married and are polar opposites, there's hope. You can make it. You know, uh, um, I'm a morning person. She's a night person. Uh, as far as movies, I love thrillers, Denzel Washington, Liam Neeson, espionage. We will come to get you in the end. She loves Marvel. Uh, you know, I love surprises. She wants things planned out. I'm extroverted. She's introverted. I'm an outside person. She's an inside person. One of us is clean and neat, and one of us is disorderly. There's no re need in telling you who because, you know, I don't want to be that self-deprecating. We are opposites in every way that there is, and, and, and there's few things that we can find agreement on, like what to eat for dinner. All, all that's been very challenging for us, but we complement each other, and, and we see life holistically because we come from two different perspectives. But one thing that we can agree on, one thing that we agree on is comedy. We both like comedy. So if you ever see your pastor at Levity Live, don't judge me. I'm just dating my wife. All right? And so we go, and, we, you know, we've gone. You know, you have to be careful when you go to these places. you got to understand not, not all of them are, you know, there's no such thing as PG in comedy. So you got to be ready for this. But one person who's actually been pretty good at keeping things kind of, you know, uh, clean as possible. He's not always clean, but as clean as possible. Is a guy named Jeff Dunham. You ever heard of Jeff Dunham? Jeff Dunham. Yes. Ventriloquist. I mean, ventriloquism or whatever is like 100 years old. But anyway, he brought it back. And uh, he's got all these puppets. You know, that's what, when, you, when you speak for the puppet and you can't tell the person's talking, ventriloquist. You guys aren't, you guys aren't tracking with me, so I'm just going to, uh, you're with me. Okay. All right, so, so, so anyway, he's got a guy named Walter. He's kind of like the Henri old guy. He's got Bubble J, who's kind of like a redneck guy. He's really funny. Uh, he's got Peanut, who's like a brown, uh, I'm sorry, a purple puppet. Uh, Jose Jalapeno. It's a jalapeno on his stick. And then, of course, there's the famous one. It's like the most beloved, terrifying terrorist of the world named Ahmed. You guys, if, if you haven't seen this, you need to go online. Actually, I don't know if I should tell you to do that because it might be bad. But anyway, uh, the, you know, uh, Ahmed, the terrifying terrorist who s s merely suffered a flesh wound and therefore he's all bones when he was a suicide bomber. And, uh, and, you know, he's known for his bits about, you know, jingle bombs instead of jingle bells at Christmas time. And he has this one refrain that he always uses every, every time he comes out, and that's, silence, I kill you. You know, and, and, it's, and it's, it's kind of funny because he, 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 he fashions himself. I'm speaking to him as if he's a real human being, but he's a puppet. But anyway, he fashions himself as like this puppet that scares people. You know, I terrify you, you know. But the crowd is laughing, and every time the crowd laughs, he gets mad because he's supposed to be terrifying you, and yet you're laughing. And he goes, silence, I kill you. 
And, and that's his whole bit. That's what he does over and over and over again. It's classic comedy the last 20 years, and it's really Jeff Dunham giving us some kind of a distraction. It came right, out, right after 9-11, the, 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 the horror, hor horrific tragedies of that event, and America needed to heal, and Jeff Dunham helped us heal through laughter. Silence! I kill you. And I mention all this because our emphasis today in our passage really is silence, so not unlike Ahmed the terrorist, but maybe in a slightly different direction, obviously. Today we're going to look at the topic of silence in the realm of the church gathering. The realm of the church gathering. Uh, when is it appropriate to be silent, and what are the conditions um, that make it appropriate to speak? Who in the congregation to speak? And as a byproduct of that, who in the congregation should be silent? What are the situations where it's proper to share openly, and what are the situations where it's proper to listen quietly or silently? For that, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 together. I challenge you to open the Word of God. Hopefully you brought a copy with you, uh, or you have a phone that you can get there as well. If you don't have any, we'll put it on the screens for you. But if you don't have a Bible, please let our people know. Uh, at the left-hand side of the lobby, we'd love to get you your first Bible. We want you to have a Bible in your hands. Circle, underline, take notes, all those type of things that help you grow in your faith. We want you to have a copy of the Word of God. And so uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we'll look at verses 27 through 40. And the overarching question is, how should the priority of orderliness in the church cause us to go silent? How should the priority of orderliness in the church cause us to go silent? Paul is now talking about, hey, there are some orderliness factors that would actually contribute to you actually being silent sometimes. And the first thing we're going to see is how should uh, these uh, priority of orderliness in the church cause us to go silent? Well, it should cause us to go silent in relationship to gifts. Like there, just because you have a gift, just because God's part, given you a gift, and I don't, again, I don't like the word gift. I, I much more prefer like a responsibility, a service to the church, uh, you know, an assignment from God. Just because you have that doesn't mean that you shouldn't find times where you're quiet about it. And we're going to dive into that silence in relationship to gifts. Now, before we dive in the text, I want to remind you, we've been almost in like a little sub-series for the last um, two months. And it's been prophecy versus tongues, tongues versus prophecy. And Paul's saying that I would wish you would elevate prophecy over tongues. Uh, we understand the, the historical setting of 1 Corinthians probably to look like this. Everybody comes to church and everybody is spouting off a different language or even a heavenly language. But nobody understands anything that's going on. It's just chaos. There's no orderliness to it. And he's saying, I wish that you would, uh, I, I, I do five words in a prophecy more than I do 10,000 words in, in a tongue. I wish that you would promote prophecy because that one, people can actually grow. They can, they, can, they can be edified. They can move forward. They get a direct word from God, and they can grow in their faith. I wish you would do something that would be intelligible versus unintelligible. And so he's now, he's been saying, uh, if you haven't been here for the last several weeks, go back and listen to the messages online. He's been saying, I would elevate prophecy over tongues. That's been the context, and we're going to continue in that context in verse 27. I'll be on the screen if you have the Bible. It says this. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to, be, uh, to interpret, let each of them keep silent, you might circle that, in the church, and speak to himself in God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first one be what? Silent. You might want to circle that one. For, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion or literally their disorder, 
but he's a God of peace. We'll stop there. How should the priority of orderliness in the church cause us to go silent? Well, first we look at the, the idea of being silent in relationship to gifts. And he, again, he's back on these two gifts again. Tongues and prophecy. Tongues versus prophecy. I would elevate tongues. You guys are elevating, I mean, I would elevate as Paul a prophecy. You guys are elevating tongues. And he's going back and forth on those. And he gives some conditions where tongues can be allowed in the midst of the worship gathering. Now, up to this point, he said, don't even do it. Leave it alone. I wish you wouldn't do that. Do that at home. You know, there's nothing about this that's edifying to the church. But here he's saying, but there is a way that you can do it where uh, if you're going to do it in the gathering, it would be admissible. And he gives four guidelines. If you are taking notes, maybe you're in a growth group this week, this would be a good time to take some notes. Uh, uh, four regulations or guidelines for speaking in tongues. Remember, that's either a known language of the earth that you didn't learn or a heavenly language that God miraculously gave you the ability to speak. Uh, here are the four conditions that you can utilize them in the gathering. Number one, I want only two, no more than three to speak. This is not something that should galvanize the entire gathering time. Two or no more than three should speak. They should speak in turn and not over each other. So he's giving them guidelines based on the problems that they're having. Everybody's speaking ecstatically in another language that they don't understand and nobody's getting anything out of it except for, wow, look at what I can do kind of thing, right? And so he's saying they shouldn't speak uh, over each other. They should speak in turn. Number three, what, it's, what is said in the tongue has to be interpreted. Somebody has to be there to interpret the tongue. And then number four, if an interpreter is not present, then the tongue speaker should be silent. They should not speak. Now, for somebody like me who's never functioned in these gifts, uh, I have a teaching gift, you know, uh, never functioned in these gifts, uh, uh, it, it's, like, it's like fascinating for me to, to even try to think about how this worked in the first century. Like, I, like, how did this work? Like, how did you know there was an interpreter present? Like, if you have, like, like, you know, you have this gift, you're speaking, how do I know if there's an interpreter present? Or maybe that person interpreted me last time, and so therefore they're always going to interpret me? So does that mean every time you, if you have an interpreter, they always interpret every time? What if they don't get interpretation one of these times? Well, what if you speak and there's not an interpreter? Is that just code for being silent? Or is that code for God wasn't actually talking to you? I have so many questions on how this would work out, and we just don't know the answers. You know, Paul didn't give us enough. We have like three chapters in the New Testament that talk about this issue. They knew what he was talking about. They had the experiences. I, I haven't had those experiences, so I can't speak to those things. But I do find it fascinating, fascinating to even think about. He doesn't only stop at tongues, though. He also goes back and says, I'm going to give you some, some guidelines and some regulations uh, as it relates to prophecy as well. I'm not just going to pick on tongues, and this is, you guys are doing it wrong. And so I'm going to give you similar guidelines, actually, for a prophecy. And we see that in verse 29. I'll go back there. Where it says, let two or three prophets speak as well. So they're not supposed to galvanize the meaning either. And let the others weigh what is said. So if you have the gift of prophecy or everybody else in the room, you weigh what is said. You evaluate whether or not this is from God or not. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. So if you're talking prophetically and somebody else gets a word from God, you need to sit down and be silent while they stand up and now give their word, their number two. You can all prophesy one by one and so that all may learn and be encouraged. The spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets, meaning uh, how do we know if God's speaking? Well, one prophet speak. If another person gets a word, then that means you're done. Uh, uh, This person speaks now. And then also by the understanding of whether or not when we evaluate this thing, what is said, is it really from God or was it just you? Or or, or was the first part from God and the second part you got really excited because everybody's listening to you? How do we evaluate this thing 
this is where uh, the prophets are evaluating as well. So maybe I, I, I've done my time speaking, and now it's time for me to evaluate what's being said. I want you to follow these four guidelines. Again, you might want to take notes on this. Two, no more than three, should prophesy. If the other prophets, uh, the other prophets are to judge what's being said while the prophet is speaking. If someone else has a revelation, uh, they are to signal somehow to the, fr- the first person who's prophesying they can know, and that means they sit down. We do this in school all the time. Like when we have a, if we want to get the teacher's attention, we raise our hand. Maybe there was something like that. We know that prophets would stand up and speak, and everybody else was sitting down. Maybe somebody who got a word from the Lord would stand up and go, oh, they have a word from the Lord, and that's cue for me. Okay, I must be done. God's letting me know I'm done. That person has a word now. Everything is to be done in orderly fashion is the idea. Each prophet was to speak in turn. They weren't to speak over each other. You can imagine the chaos that was a church when everybody, imagine a like this, everybody's speaking in tongues or prophesying at the same time. All we hear is, and he's saying, that's not orderly. So you're not to do that. That's not orderly. It seems that he's making a great point. A God is a God of order. In fact, he says it. He's a God, not a confusion, not a disorder, but a God of peace. It seems to be almost a limit limitation on the self-pontification of yourself. Like, wow, I got this gift. Now listen to me! Everybody listen to me! Kind of thing. Uh, the motivation that can, can sometimes obscure being used by God as well. So in both cases, tongues and prophecy, the person possessing the gifts has a volitional control over that gift. This is so important. I wish you would just hone in on this and understand this. The person who is exercising the gift has volitional control over that gift. That gift hasn't overtaken them or controlled their body to where they can't control themselves. He's telling them, you have the ability to control yourself. You can stop the tongue and you can stop the prophet, the prophecy. You have the ability to control yourself. Uh, this is very unlike you know, uh, um, um, the ecstasy that you would find in pagan culture where they would lose themselves in some kind of otherworldliness and find themselves in this euphoric state where they don't even have control of themselves. And I just want to say, be careful of religious movements that encourage you to lose yourself, lose control of yourself, uh, or, or to work yourself up in some kind of tizzy or outward display of randomized movements and seizures in esoteric environments. That is not of God. Just, he's, he's saying here, Paul is saying, I'm telling you you should be in full control of yourself. A full volitional control of themselves. And why? Because God is a God of order. He's not a God of disorder or confusion. Literal idea there would be disorder, confusion. Paul says when it comes to your gifting, you are to make sure that the most edifying thing happens in the church. And just because you have a gift doesn't mean that you should utilize it at every second. Sometimes it might be time for you to go quiet. And listen while another gift is being utilized. That's okay. Don't, surf, don't focus on what is self-serving. Focus on what is edifying to the whole. You know, today I'm going to go with Kenny, our executive pastor, and Kelly. We're going to take a trip to Whittier Area Community Church tonight. It's a, a church in our denomination. Um, it's about 3,000 people. It's a really great church. I love the pastor. There's a really good guy. We're going to go and we're going to check it out. And we're going to see what we can learn. It's just an off-site for us to go learn um, what other churches are doing and, you know, get ourselves out of our own mindset and just kind of see, see what God will show us there. Can you imagine when uh, Pastor John Riley gets on the stage and he's preaching to his Sunday night service crowd, if I were to say, hey, I'm a teacher. <laughs> How about you let me on the stage and teach? Can you imagine? Wait, I think maybe I guess you could raise a horrifying idea. Like, like, hey, John, that's great. I love that introduction. Let me take it to the next level. 
You, you know what I mean? I mean, I, you, you, okay, well, yes, I'm gifted, and God has give, gifted me as a teacher, but there's still a time to go silent in the midst of the gathering. That's the idea. When is it time for me to utilize the gift or the responsibility or the service or the assignment that God's given to me, and when is it time to go silent? Sometimes it's okay and even appropriate to go silent in the realm of your own gifting and finding that really the, the motivation is what is most edifying for the church. That's how you utilize, and that's how you find out. All right, let's keep on going. How should the priority of orderliness in the church cause us to go silent? How should the priority of orderliness in the church cause us to go silent? Well, first, we looked at silence in the relationship to the gifts. And now second, everybody, silence in the relationship to gender. All right, pray for me on this one, because we're stepping in it right here. Silence in relationship to gender. Now, um, well, let's just read it. Uh, let's just go to verse 33. Let's just read it together. You can blame God. <clears throat> here it is, here it is, here it is. As in all the churches of the saints, this happens everywhere, the women should keep what? Silent in the churches. You shouldn't have said that. That's hilarious. Uh, anyway. They are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything that, that they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. This is the word of God right here. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in the church. Wow. That's pretty direct. Verse 36. Or was it, or was it from you that the word of God came? Or, or, or are you the only ones who've reached, who, who, who it has reached? Meaning, did you guys come up with the word of God? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I'm writing you are a command of the Lord. No out, no out clause on this. If anyone does not recognize this, he has not recognized himself. So brothers eagerly desire, earnestly desire the prophecy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently, decently and in order. All things should be done decently and in order. All right. How should the priority of orderliness in the church cause us to go silent? Well, now we're going to look at silence in relationship to gender. Now, you can see why most churches would skip this section. But that's not how we roll around here. <laughs> Challenge accepted, baby. Let's go. Uh, what do we do with this passage? Now, on a serious note, uh, if you're in a growth group, take notes right here. This is a passage that really stumbles people. It really, really causes like a stumbling gap between them and their God. And there's a way to understand this. I promise you, if you'll listen, I challenge you to listen closely. There's a way to understand this that not only makes sense of this passage in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, but the entirety of how God views gender relations, marital relations in the whole Bible. There's a way to understand this to where you can go, hey, this is not any, a place anymore that gives me doubts about God. It helps me understand what he's doing. So please listen as we go through this. The prohibition is against women speaking in the gathering. We obviously uh, don't force women to be silent in our gathering. So let's talk about how we got there. Uh, the reasoning for this is because the law declares a need for subordination. Uh, the ground for this is uh, there's no speaking because the law declares that there is uh, a need for subordination. Now, what is he talking about when he talks about the law? Uh, he probably, likely, is talking about Genesis 3, 16, where it's after Adam and Eve fall. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, uh, Adam is told not to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. 
Uh, he knows that. He gets that directed from God. He's the one who uh, Eve is created out of. He names Eve. I believe before the fall, there's already a, a, um, a creation order. God made Adam first and Eve. We see this in First uh, Timothy chapter 2. And so uh, there is an order there, and he is responsible over this relationship. In fact, Eve is the one who eats the fruit first, but who gets penalized as the one who's made man fall, mankind fall? Adam is, and why is he held responsible? He's held responsible because he was the one who was given directive. He was the one who was in authority over that realm. And instead of saying, oh, sorry, Eve, you're going to be obliterated for eating that, uh, he joins her in it. And so he doesn't lead in the garden. Okay? He was supposed to lead. He didn't lead in the garden. And now, because of that, there is now consequences. Now, some of the consequences, like the serpent, uh, you, know, you know, he's going to slither on his stomach. Uh, man is going to toil and labor. He's going to have sweat. There's going to be weeds. You know, and women are going to have two things. One, they're going to have pain in childbirth, which we still have today, but we've been able to mask because of medications. And secondly, they're going to have a desire for their husbands. This is, this is Genesis 3.16. A desire for their husbands, but yet they, their husbands will rule over them. I believe what's happening there is something that was already supposed to be pre-fall, which was man supposed to lead his wife. Now there's going to be a, a, a sinful element to it. And guys, when we're functioning in our sinfulness, we will lord that leadership over our wives. And when we're functioning in the grace of God and the love of God, we will die for her just like Christ died for the church. Does that make sense? And so there's, he's referring back to this. There's supposed to be a subordination. There's different roles here. There's a role for the man in the marriage, and there's a role for his wife in the marriage. There's a role for the man in the church, and there's a role for his wife in the church. Why, do I, why am I that specific? Because this does not apply to anything outside of the church or the home. Okay, this doesn't apply to secular workplaces or, or careers. Or anything. No, no, no. It's just, I, there's a role for the man and his wife in the marriage and in the church because we've seen it throughout Scripture. So, women must be silent because you must adhere to this idea that there's a subordination between the two in marriage. Now, let's put that, well, one more thing. Here's the question. Why is her speaking up in the service or the gathering a charge against her subordination against him? Why, when she speaks up in the gathering, does that say anything about her husband and whether or not he's leading and whether or not she's following Take that question, put it aside for a second, and we'll come back to that. Interestingly enough, second note, and this would be actually very challenging. Um, in, in chapter 11, if you remember, and I challenge you to go back because we preached on this. In chapter 11, Paul says that women can both pray and prophesy as long as their head's covered. Do you remember this? You can pray and you can prophesy in the gathering as long as your head's covered. And the reason was because in that culture, when you had a covered head, that means that you were in subordination to your husband. You're letting everybody know, I, I, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good at being the place that I am. And so that, that we don't have that in our culture today. Uh, we don't have that sign that would say, I'm willfully submitting to my husband. I'm happily married. I'm not trying to be a man. I'm not trying to change sexes. We don't have that, 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 that physical item that would do that. But in that day, it was as long as she is having her head covered, she can pray and she can prophesy in the gathering. Now, here's the problem. Chapter 11, she can pray and prophesy as long as she has her head covered. Chapter 14, she can't even speak. It's disgraceful. What do you do with that? Church is over today, folks. Put that in your pipe and smoke and figure it out. 
What do you do with that? Here we have one situation, yes you can, one situation, no you can't. You can't speak, you can't speak verbally, but over here these items, are, you can only do them verbally. So what do you do with this? This is what makes us think that there is a specific situation that he's speaking to. Women can prophesy and pray, chapter 11. That is true. As long as their heads are covered, then they're in submission to their husbands. Chapter 14, but there is one situation where they can't speak. It's got to be, or else he's contradicting himself. And he's contradicting himself, then we have a, a, a scripture that's not inerrant. And that's very problematic. And so you have to go, he must be talking to a certain situation. All right? Now, if that was complex, go back and rewatch it online. And hopefully, you'll be able to put the, uh, the things together. He, Paul demands, in one sense, quietness. Yet on the other hand, he allows and even advocates for audible involvement in the gathering somewhere else. So what do we do with that? We assume that he's speaking to a specific situation. So what situation is that? Now, I'm going to let you know that there are umpteen different views on this. Uh, they're debated in commentaries all over the place. There's so many different views that I can't even give you like a thorough uh, you know, briefing on those views. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the best one. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. The, the one that I like, the one that, that I think is best, that I think is most reasonable, all right? And I, I can't be wrong, but it's not often. <clears throat> okay, so while women, here's the best view. While women are allowed to pray and prophesy in the midst of the gathering, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, they are not allowed to participate in the weighing of prophecy. You remember where we just came out of? Uh, you know, we take out this tongue section, you be quiet. Uh, you know, if there's no interpreter, you be quiet. And then the prophecy section, you be quiet if there's somebody else who's prophesying. And the rest of you weigh what's being said. I think what he's saying is, women, you are to be quiet while prophecy is weighing, while we're weighing what is being said. Now, you add to this the idea that we think that when you were to, 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 to uh, weigh the prophets, you would actually have this combative Q&A with the prophets. What do you mean by this? Wait a minute. All this questioning going back and forth until we can say, yes, this was a word from God, or no, this was not a word from God. And that they, were, they were within their own limited understanding of the scriptures. Remember, they don't have very many scriptures yet. We think this is from God or not from God, and then God gave miraculous validation through other prophets going, yep, that's a word from the Lord, or no, it's not a word from the Lord. If you are a female prophet, you are not to weigh and evaluate the prophecy. Why would that matter? I'll tell you why it could matter. Because your husband, ah, your husband could be the one prophesying. And if he is prophesying and you're evaluating his prophecy, you are now no longer under subordination. You are now in spiritual authority over him. That's seminary class right there, baby. All right, I'm more impressed than you guys are. That's okay, that's okay. Uh, you can imagine the awkwardness of like, oh, really, husband? That's what you think God said? Let me ask these questions and make you look like a fool in front of everybody. That, that's just not going to fly well even in our context, right? And certainly not in a context where they're so concerned about spiritual authority, so concerned that we're staying in line with the, with, with the roles that God has given us. You can imagine a wife cross-examining her husband. That's just not going to fly very well. And so he's saying, let's just not even go there. You can speak, prophesy and pray, absolutely. Be involved in the, in, in the gathering. But when it comes to weighing the prophecy, I want you to be silent. I want you to be quiet. Let the men of the church, let the elders of the church, let them decide what is being said there. Now, I, I realize this can look like it's uh, a, a very unliberating thing for women. But I want to let you know something that's actually very liberating for them in their context. Okay? I, I got to let you know this. Jewish and Gentile context at that time, women were not allowed to speak to anybody in public, any man in public who was not their husband. In fact, in the Jewish synagogues, women couldn't talk at all. 
And so Paul is saying, yes, you can speak, you can pray, you can prophesy, but in the area of judging the prophecies, I want you to remain quiet. Even though you have a prophetic gift, and you know, I want you to be quiet. And by the way, when you go home, you can ask all the questions of your husband at home. Doesn't it make sense of the whole husband and wife thing? Like, why does that even get in? Because he's concerned that something will look like it's being undone. So I want you to speak. You're permitted to speak. But I also want you to remain in submission. I also want you to remain in submission. So just to be clear, the, the limitation here is in weighing the prophecy, which is our direct concert, our direct context. Obviously, we don't believe that women can't speak in church. And all the women said? <laughs> They're like, I'm not sure. <laughs> Am I allowed to say it? <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we look for places to get women involved in our, in, our, in our worship setting. We invented the whole trifecta. I speak, Kenny does the, the giving, and somebody else does a welcome and a send-off. We invented that. You know why? Because we wanted to be able to get ladies on the stage and get them involved. Um, we do this, send-offs, beautiful send-offs, welcome. Uh, worship leaders give us a word, uh, you know, they'll, they'll say something, a, a scripture or an exhortation, sing. We have no problem with any of that. Go for it. We have songs that are led by females. We look for ways to get women involved. Uh, anything shy of preaching, teaching, and eldership, we want women to be involved. Our, elder, our elders sometimes sanction, sanction task, force, tax, task forces, like we had a dream team a couple years ago. They came up with a, a dream of what this campus could look like, and we're going to present that to you in the fall. It's been two years in the working. We have beautiful drawings. You'll have to wait till the fall to be able to see all those things about what if God did something amazing here. We also recently had a, an HR task force. We're like, you know what? We want to make sure we're paying our people well, and so let's get this task force. Let's get people who are in the HR world, in the secular world, they can give us ideas. Uh, let's make sure there's a woman on that task force. We want to get that perspective. I have elders all the time. I try to bring their wives as much as I can. I want a female perspective on everything we do. We have staff meetings where we evaluate every service every week, and I make sure there's women in that room. I want to know what a female, I want to know a young female, a, a married female with children. You know, uh, I want everybody, I want, you know, on the guy side, everything. We look for ways to get people. So yes, there is an ordering of relationships within marriage and the church. It's biblical, not going away with that. In fact, our society is going away from that big time. It's called egalitarianism. They're going more and more egalitarian left and right with all kinds of stuff. And here I'm going down with the word of God. Uh, uh, saying, no, there, there's differences. But it doesn't mean that we have to be chauvinistic about it. I do believe God wants you to lead your home. Gentlemen. And I do believe that God wants you to allow your husband to lead. And I do believe he wants that in the home, and I do believe he wants it in the church. And I believe it's biblical. But it doesn't mean we're chauvinistic about it. Well, then he goes to validate these things. And, uh, and he basically says, hey, the church everywhere is doing this, and you local prophets should be validating this as well. Verse 36, 36 or is it from you that the word of God came? <laughs> Don't you realize I'm the one who brought you the gospel? I'm giving you these directives, and I'm the one who brought you this. Are you the only ones that it's reached? No, there's plenty of churches all over the area, and they're all following what I've said. And if anyone thinks he's a prophet and he's spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing are the command of the Lord. You prophets validate what I'm saying, because you know if you're from God, you're going to validate what I'm saying. You might have a prophetic gift, but I have an apostolic gift. And it's the very first time in Scripture we start seeing the words that come from the apostolic gift, as your word of God in your New Testament, always trump whatever is said from a prophet. And he's saying, you should validate. By the way, if you don't, if anyone does not recognize this, then he's not recognized. Ooh, that's the trump card. So brothers earnestly desire, uh, brothers and sisters earnestly desire prophecy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. 
All things should be done efficiently and in order. So he uses some sarcasm to make his point. I have the trump card. I'm the apostle. If you disregard what I'm saying, God will disregard you. And then he ends it all by saying, everything should be done in an orderly fashion. Bookends the entire passage. And what he's saying is, two or three, speaking in tongues, if there's no interpreter, be silent. Two or three, speaking in prophecy, in turn, and if somebody else has a word, then you go silent. Women, you may prophesy and pray in public, but when you're weighing the prophecy, go silent. So now, those are the clear directives. You have a decision to make. Are you going to do things your way? Are you going to do things God's way? That's really what Paul's saying. I'm telling you how you should, you know, rank yourselves in the gathering. I'm telling you how to function in the gathering. Are you going to do it my way? Or are you going to do it your way? In fact, it's our big idea of the day. Christian, the Christian life is all about prioritizing God's way over our own way. The Christian life is all about prioritizing God's way over our own way. That's what they were dealing with. Do I behave in a manner that's consistent with the Lord's desires, or do I behave in a manner that's consistent with my own desires? Who gets their way, God or me? Christian life is all about prioritizing God's way over our own way. I think what I'd like to do is try to highlight that principle or illustrate that timeless truth in a self-deprecating way, in a way where um, I might not turn out to be the hero of the story. Many of you know, I've said this many times, I, I, I had a mother who passed away 20 years ago, I was 25 years old, really, really difficult. Um, you know, I already had lost a father when I was a child, so losing my mother was really, really difficult. We're very, very close. It was a hard time. It makes Mother's Day actually really hard for me. Although last week I did a great job of just focusing on my amazing wife and how much wonderful mother she is to our children, and it really helped me get through that without thinking of some, some, some lamentful thoughts and whatnot. Um, and uh, anyway, so she means a lot to me, and she was a single-parent mother. She basically uh, raised us being both the mom and the dad. She reminded us of this all the time. In fact, she would tell us, I think I should get uh, a Mother's Day card and a Father's Day card. I'm both. I do them both. You know, and so she's, she's doing right. I get gifts on both days. She wants to be celebrated on both days. And, uh, and I go, sure, Mom, here, here's a wrench. I mean, <clears throat> But as a funny aside, that's how she was, right? Uh, needless to say, when she passed on, it was really, really difficult. And if, if any mo- amount of money would have brought her back, we would have mortgaged the whole world to get her back, but things don't work that way. The last five years of her life, she became this little Hispanic real estate tycoon. Uh, in the early 2000s, the housing market in Northern California was exploding, uh, doubling, tripling over, you know, in that season before the 2009 crash. And my mom went from, like, renting her whole life to becoming a landlord. She had bought four homes. And, uh, and, uh, and, you know, and rented them all out. And so she, she uh, you know, fulfilled the American dream, the land of opportunity. Sometimes I think, you know, people coming from another country appreciate that a little bit more than those of us who've been raised here because we just don't know anything different. But they remember back in the other country, the homeland, and the land of opportunity. In fact, you can own your own piece of land in a house. It's like a dream for herself or a dream for her kids. Well, when she passed away, it was my job to liquidate the estate, to pay off her debts, to distribute the leftovers to her heirs, and by the time we did all of that, there was a significant amount of money left for my brother and I. Uh, I say significant, depends on what, how you would describe significant. Um, we would gladly have given it all up to get her back, but again, it doesn't work that way. But at the very least, we could use those monies to purchase a home, which would be her dream for herself and her dream for her boys. California is crazy expensive. Maybe we could actually get into a home. That was her dream. Well, as a Christian... Oftentimes we talk about, in fact, Kenny will be on the stage to talk about today, how we give God back a portion of the gifts he's given to us. 
we do this in several ways. We give our first fruits. This would be, if you think like a farmer, I'm not sure what the harvest is going to be yet, but the first fruits came. I'm going to give that to God because I'm going to trust him for the entire harvest. Another way we do this is by a, a tithe or a tenth, 10% of our, our, of our income we give back to the Lord. It's another way we see giving to the Lord. And then thirdly, above and beyond the tithe, you can give an offering. You've given me so much. I've given you a tenth of all that I have. But right now I want to give an extra special something new because I'm so grateful for how much you've provided for me. First fruits, tithe, and even offerings. Well, I just come upon a season where I'd come into a windfall of non-taxable funds. I'm not sure if it's taxable today, but the laws back then made it non-taxable. And, uh, and I thought, well, man, if it's non-taxable, maybe it's not tithable either. Just being real. Went to a mentor of mine, Ted Montoya. I remember asking him. I was really struggling with the greed and trying to justify it. I was like, Ted, like, who really gives a tenth of their inheritance? Like, let's say somebody gets $500,000 of inheritance. Now, that wasn't mine. That was crazy amounts more. But, but uh, let's say somebody gets $500,000 of inheritance. Are they really going to give $50,000 to Jesus? Really? I mean, Ted, I give a tenth of my income as a youth pastor. I'm living on 90%. Certainly I've sacrificed enough. I mean, certainly God wouldn't mind if I just took all of this and put it into a house. And I'll never forget his response. He's such a gentle, loving guy. And in his soft tone, he issued a rebuke. What came across to me as a rebuke. He said, you know, David, I'm not sure what people in those situations would do some may have it, uh, may have a hard time parting with the money. It's like you're having a hard time parting with it. Some may view the windfall as like a reason to give back even more to God. Oh, God, you gave me, I, they might want to give more than 10%. I, I don't know how people would respond. But see, that doesn't really much matter, does it? What really matters is what you're going to do. I remember it hit me like a ton of bricks. You see, I was trying to say, well, nobody else would do this, so I don't have to do it, and I could scapegoat everybody else, and I can blame shift them. They're the problem. If they would do it, then I would do it. Since they're not doing it, I'm not going to do it. And Ted was like, it doesn't really matter if they would give more or less. What matters is what you're going to do. What are you going to do in this situation? Which, by the way, had I involved my wife in this discussion, it would have been no discussion at all, because she'd just give it. Even last week, I'm trying to come to, come to hey, hun, let's talk about what we're going to get for Zoe. And she's like, let's give half of our bank account. I'm like, no, no, we can't do that. I'll be stressed out trying to figure out, like, how we're going to make ends meet. And, and so I had a number, and her number's bigger, and as it always happens, she raises my number, and I bring her number down, and we come to a place where we agree. The Christian life is all about prioritizing God's way over our own way. And I think what Ted was trying to show me was David— are you going to do it your way or are you going to do it God's way? Are you going to trust him that you can't, can't really outgive him? Like he'll, he'll, he, he'll, he'll make sure you're whole. Or are you going to trust your own ways in it? Now, I don't know how this will apply to you. It may apply in, in, in areas of morality of your life. And do, I, do I finally give this piece of morality over to God and do it his way rather than my way? It, it could be an area where it's not even a moral thing. It's a secondary issue. But you know God is calling you to do something. And your sin is a sin of omission. Like you haven't done it yet. You're procrastinating. You're, you're crawling to it when you should be running to it. I, I don't know, but I know the idea is the same. The Christian life is all about prioritizing God's way over our own way. So let me ask you, how are you doing with that? How are you doing with that? How are you doing with the prioritization of God's way over your own way? 
Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes with me? As we pray together. Father, we uh, all, all of us, if we're on a journey for Jesus, we will all come to a day where we realize, you know what, it's your way or my way. What's it going to be? It's like a fork in the road. Do I go to the right or do I go to the left? And yet we all know that when we choose your way, nobody ever regrets that. Nobody regrets that five minutes after they made the choice. Nobody regrets that five months after they made the choice. Nobody regrets that five years after they made the choice. And yet it's so hard to make that choice sometimes. To do things your way instead of my way. Paul says, hey, would you be willing to be silent if it meant that you were doing things God's way? Would you be willing to do that? Would you help us, Lord, to double down in, in fortitude, to be stubborn about this desire inside? I want to follow your world. I want to follow your will. I want to do things your way. I want your desires, not mine. I used to have a prayer when I was 19 years old. God, your way, not my way. Your way, not my way. I'd rather be disappointed and not get my way so I could give you your way. Father, and I'm 44 years old now praying the same thing. Help me double down on that spirit to want things to go your way not necessarily my way. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor David, for your message. Um, you know, some of you may be here today, and you've been living the world's way. You've been living for yourself. Um, being a Christian means submitting to the Lord and to His Word and what it says in living His way. Um, and that starts with a um, kind of a surrender where you just give up and say, you know, I'm no longer going to be on the throne in my life. I'm no longer the king. I'm going to put Jesus in his rightful place as king. And I'm, he's going to be the Lord. And I'm going to submit to him and follow him. Um, even if it's different from, you know, the things I've been pursuing, I'm going to give up on that, turn away from it, and turn towards God. If you're here today and you haven't done that um, and you're ready to, maybe we, we believe that the Lord's Spirit draws people and you may feel him drawing you now and you're ready to come to know the Lord or give up on the world and get, turn to Jesus. Um, you can do that today. Um, there's people who want to walk you through that process at our welcome counter on the left-hand side of the lobby. Would love to talk with you. Would love to pray with you, answer any questions to help you get started on your journey towards Jesus. If you're joining us online and there's still a lot of people doing that, we see you out there um, on your computer. Uh, well, we just see the IP address, but we know you're there. <laughs> Um, if you would love, uh, we'd love for you to let us know what's going on in your life as well by going to camcc.net, click on next steps. Um, there's a little form you can fill out and one of our pastors will get back to you this week. Um, cause we want to be able to be with you on this journey towards Christ. It can, it starts with a prayer of submission and saying yes to Jesus. Uh, yes, your Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins uh, and accepting that offer to be his child. All right. We're going to give back to the Lord. This is how we honor him. Like David was just saying, I don't really need to say much more other than, you know, we're, we're almost there in the van. We just need $4,000 more. My plans to go to the dealership this week and pay for that thing and uh, sign it over to Zoe. And next week, they're going to, we're going to give them the keys here on the stage and they're going to drive it off. It's going to be an awesome thing. They're going to use that van to try to give these girls a normal life, to be able to take them out to In-N-Out or take them out to get their hair done, to take them and do the kind of things we would do with our kids um, that are, so they're gonna, these girls that are in their care, they just wanna be able to use that van for that purpose. So such a blessing, we'd be a part of it. But additionally, the gift cards, if you haven't given to the van or you already gave the van, you wanna do the gift card thing, um, you can bring those back next week as well. So for tithes and offerings, there's three ways to give. I'm pretty sure that it's put on the screen right now. 
Um, that is, there's an offering box. You can write a check. And if you're giving towards Zoe, just put Zoe in the memo line on the check. And if you're giving online, they're in the drop-down menu. There's an option for Zoe as well. All right. Um, before we go, let's check out this video of what's coming up next. Hi, CC. I'm Carolyn Hart, and I serve in our Awana ministry. And I'm so grateful to be part of our church family here at CC. If it is your first, second, or third time as a guest, we have some gifts for you to thank you for checking us out. We want to put a face to your name. So please go to the welcome counter in the lobby with your connection card. And if you're watching us online, go to camcc.net slash next steps. Check out what's coming up at CAMCC. The month of May, Zoe Initiative, reaching and rescuing trafficked children. The month of May, we are partnering with Zoe, a nonprofit organization that fights against human trafficking. Ways for you to get involved would be one, join our 24-hour prayer time, sign up for a slot on the patio. Two, donate $10 coffee and fast food gift cards to the advocate team that meets with these girls. And number three, donate to purchase a van for Zoe. This is a huge need for them right now. Friday, May 27th through Monday, May 30th, family camp at Sage Hill in Santa Barbara. Enjoy the outdoors, camping, hiking, fishing, and family games. If you can't make the whole weekend, that's okay. Just come up for the day. Also enjoy a Saturday potluck dinner followed by our weekend gathering as we will not be gathering on campus May 29th. Join us May 28th at the camp for our gathering or watch Sunday, May 29th, only online. Sunday, June 12th, Baptism Sunday. Take the next step in your faith by publicly declaring Jesus the Savior and Lord of your life. We will have baptisms for both gatherings. To sign up or if you have questions, please go to camcc.net slash next steps or email daryl at camcc.net. We will provide everything you need. Tuesday, June 14th, Worship Night. Come join us for a dynamic night of worship, prayer, and scripture. Invite your friends and family to join you from 7 to 8 p.m. and it's gonna be a powerful evening. Tuesday, June 14th, PJs and popcorn. Kids birth all the way up through third grade. Come in your pajamas for a praise party kid style and all you can eat popcorn while your parents are at worship night. For more information, please check out our website at camcc.net. Important dates coming up, so make sure and save the date and check out upcoming events at camcc.net. High School Fries on Camp, June 19th through 24th. Middle School Catalina Trip, August 5th through 8th. To stay in the loop at what's going on at CAMCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information on any of these events, go to camcc.net. Dave and Kelly and Kenny know me pretty well, and I'm a very outspoken, independent woman. And I think it was kind of kind of joke that they had me do the send-off today. But um, what I really actually got out of the message this morning was um, just that it's not about me um, and that I need to surrender and submit to the Lord and everything and, and those gifts that he's given me. Um, and you know what? That's easy to do when you have amazing uh, godly men in your life, which I've been blessed with a wonderful father, husband, and pastor. So I'm very thankful for those men in my life. Um, Remember, if it's your first, second, or third time this morning, uh, just go to the welcome counter there because we have a gift for you. And um, if you're watching online, just go to camcc.net slash next steps. Um, and remember to check out the initiative out there on the patio and just invite someone to come with you and join us next Sunday. Have a great week.